Amen. Amen. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Wish he was a little bit more passionate, but, uh, you know, <laughs> he got the point across. Uh, hey, have you ever met me before? My name's Joe, and I get to serve as one of our pastors here. And uh, I, I, I want to have some fun this morning before we get started. I want to share some riddles with you. I'm going to share three riddles, and I want you to take your best guess to answer them. And whoever gets the most right, I'll tell you what, um, I'll take you out to lunch and I'll even let you pay, all right? We'll do that. Uh, or you can wash my car, your choice. Here we go, first one. David's father has three sons, Snap, Crackle, and? No, David, yes. Listen, folks, sleep at home, be awake here, go get you some coffee, all right? You need to pay attention, all right? It's coming fast. All right, next one. The more you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? Anybody want to shout it out? Nobody? Okay. All right. Come on. 830 got this one. Nobody? It's, it's footsteps. Footsteps. Come on. All right. You got to think outside the box here a little bit. All right. A cowboy rode into town on Friday. He stayed for three nights and rode out on Friday. How is this possible? The horse's name is Friday. Good job. You're getting these. All right. Last one. All right. This is a little harder. What comes once in a minute, twice in a moment, but never in a thousand years? The letter M. Great job. All right. Cool. Um, I'll just have a sign-up sheet for whoever wants to wash my car if you got four of those right, and you just, you just let me know. Uh, so these, I like riddles, and uh, these were kind of challenging, you know, a little bit of lateral thinking involved. But today we're going to look at a bigger riddle that you actually find in John 8. So if you brought your Bible, that's where we're going to be. If you want to use the Version app, we'll also have the text on the screen for you. But i got to give you a little bit of context before we look at this, because if you have your Bible in front of you, you're probably going to see this statement in front of John 8, and it says this, the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include John 7.53 through John 8.11. The earliest manuscripts that we have, which were the, the original written documents, do not have the following story in it, the following account. But it was probably added later by one of John's scribes or the early church along the way. Uh, however, that's not a problem. We do believe that this is a historically accurate account. Numerous trusted scholars that deal with the science of textual criticism believe that this happened. As one commentator puts it, and it speaks for most commentators, Bruce Metzger says it has the earmarks of historical veracity. It is consistent with what we know of the, of the person of Christ from what is reflected in the rest of the gospel. So in other words, the way that Jesus speaks and acts in this story is consistent with his character, and it's consistent with other gospel accounts. So this verifies that this was a historically accurate account of something that actually happened, and we should apply it to our lives to see what it has to say about Jesus and about us, and about how we view others. This is such an important story. So we're going to get into this. We're going to start in John chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. So typical of Jesus, he gathers his disciples and others who were interested in hearing his teaching and he starts, he starts to, to explain God's word. He starts to teach to them. Now, things get weird. Here's what happens. John 8, 3. As he was speaking, 
The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, I'm not going to be vulgar here, but I want you to get the full, a full understanding of what's going on. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were not bringing someone to him who they had heard had a reputation of, of adultery. All right, No, this woman was literally caught in the act. All right, They would have ripped her away from the man who, by the way, was not her husband, while they were literally in the act of this, this physical act, all right? And there's two things that we need to take notice of. Notice they bring her in front of, they don't do this privately, all right? They bring her in front of Jesus and a large crowd. Imagine how humiliating this would have been. She's probably half-dressed if she's lucky. And also, where's the man? Because it obviously takes two to tango. Shouldn't the man have been brought to Jesus as well since they're both in the wrong? They're both partaking in this? You know, maybe the guy got away before the religious leaders could get to him. But I think more than likely, the religious leaders zeroed in on the woman because of how women were viewed and not valued in this society. And they used her to make their case against Jesus even stronger. So with this in mind, here comes this riddle that Jesus has to solve. It's a conundrum. It's, it's, it's almost a paradox. John 8, 4 through 6. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. You see... The religious leaders, they weren't really out for justice, all right? They weren't really trying to protect this woman's marriage or any of these things, right? There was vengeance at the core. The religious leaders had been trying to trap Jesus because he'd been causing a lot of problems. He was saying some things and teaching some things and doing some things that they didn't like that were against their rules, and they finally believe that they've got him right where they want him. They're finally going to be able to get rid of this Jesus guy because they're about to discredit him. The late Tim Keller is helpful in explaining the complexity of this trap, the impossible riddle to solve. It says the religious leaders knew Jesus is stuck between two issues. One is the life of the woman and two the divine law of Moses. On one hand, they know Jesus is a consummate teacher of grace compassion and tenderness and forgiveness. On the other hand, Jesus also said that the law of Moses is from God and not a jot or a tittle will pass away until it is fulfilled. And the law of Moses states adultery is punishable by execution. So think about the position that Jesus is in. If Jesus takes the woman's side and says, hey, this woman made a mistake, we shouldn't punish her, everybody deserves a second chance, then he ignores the law, which he claims, which is from God. And if Jesus claims to be God, then he's going against his own words. This would discredit him from being the Messiah. He'd be breaking his own rules. In other words, Jesus would be showing grace, but at the expense of upholding the truth. Now, on the other hand, if he upholds the law of Moses and publicly executes her, he, he, he agrees to this, then his reputation 
of being a man of compassion and forgiveness and grace would be discredited. So in other words, Jesus would be upholding the truth, but at the expense of showing grace. So how, does Jesus, how can Jesus escape this trap that the, that the religious leaders and Pharisees have set for him? Well, he does it in a way that nobody expects him to. He does it with this incredibly powerful act. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. That's how he did it, right? Can you imagine the religious leaders watching this before him? You know, they think they've got Jesus right where they want him, you know, and they've given this impossible riddle to solve. And in typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't say a word. He gets down and he writes in the dirt. And this infuriates the religious leaders. And they're not backing down. So they keep pressing. They kept demanding an answer. So he stands up and he says, all right, well, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He stooped down again and wrote in the dust. It appears as though the religious leaders are just trying to get Jesus to react. They don't really want him to think through this because they don't ask, hey, what do you think? They say, what do you say? Twice. They say, what do you say? They're pushing him. They're pushing him. They're trying to invoke a hasty response. Have you ever done that before? Someone tries to invoke a reaction from you and you start speaking before you think, you know, and you just start barfing out words and then, you know, later on you regret what you said, you feel bad or embarrassed. I mean, this has never happened to me, but I didn't know if this has ever happened to you, okay? Jesus doesn't cave in to their game, to their demands. And so for a second time, he gets down and he writes in the dust. And we don't know what he wrote, so we have to be careful not to speculate here, but we do know what Jesus says. He looks into the eyes of these religious leaders who were filled with anger and judgment in their hearts, and they have stone in their hand. They have stones in their hands, right? Now, they're not just gonna, they're not just throwing pebbles, okay? This is an execution. You would not have wanted to witness this. Thank God this is not something that we do in our society. They would have taken rocks while people watch, and these would have been heavy rocks that they would throw, hitting this woman in the, in the head and in the body until she was dead, right? This would have been brutal. I mean, this would have been horrible. There would have been screams. This would have been a terrible thing to witness. This is the religious leaders. I mean, could you imagine that? You know, if, if our church was like, hey, this year at the, at the church picnic, we're also going to have an execution. That would have been awful, right? That's crazy, but that's exactly what's going on. And, and Jesus says, okay, you can do this. You can stone this woman, since the law states that anyone who's a witness of the crime can throw the first stone, all right? I'll give you that. But you can only do it if you're innocent, if you've never sinned. Now, more than likely, Jesus is referring to the same type of sin, sexual sin. And sure, it's obvious that the woman has committed it, but so have they. Even if they weren't caught in the act, they have committed it at very least in their hearts and minds. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28, I say to anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. People who commit adultery have, have only taken what is in everyone's heart and they've taken it all the way out to, their physical, to its physical extent. You know, whether, you're a, whether you commit adultery as a physical act or just a mental or emotional act, we're all broken. We all have broken desires. We all have broken sexual desires. And by saying this, Jesus is highlighting a very important point. The people judge others by a standard they don't hold themselves to. 
Have you ever done that? I mean, I have, you know. I say, well, people should do this or people shouldn't do that, and then I don't even follow those same rules, you know. I say, well, you know, people should do, shouldn't do this, and then I do it, and I'm like, well, this is a different situation, right? We're very good at justifying the things we should or shouldn't do. So what Jesus is saying here to these Pharisees and to us is to drop the stone and leave it alone. What Jesus says, plus whatever he writes in the sand, impacts the religious leader's conscience. He says this, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. One by one, the religious leaders drop their stones and they walk away, leaving only Jesus and the woman as the crowd looks on. And now, we, we read this story and it's, and it's natural to think like, man, how could these religious leaders be so judgmental, such hypocritical jerks. Man, I'm so glad that Jesus put them in their place, right? However, what if instead we stopped and asked, what if we're guilty of the same thing that the, relig the religious leaders have done? Because if, as I read through the Gospels, I rarely see myself as a Pharisee. I tend to sort of see myself maybe more like Jesus or his disciples, but I don't really ever see my life like the Pharisees. You know, I read about the Pharisees, and I'm like, man, those guys were messed up. But I wonder if we stopped and we asked ourselves, what if we're guilty of the same thing? Think of how often we, we judge others, and we don't want to be judged by that same standard. Think about how often we take and we throw stones at people, you know, not physically, but, you know, in our hearts, we wouldn't throw a stone physically because we're Christians, right? We're just going to do it in our mind. Or we're going to do it by saying something about them to someone else. Think about how we're guilty of the same thing. I mean, I think of, of the words in Matthew 7 when Jesus says this. Why worry about this? I want you to understand that there's some humor here, all right? Jesus is funnier than I think we give him credit for. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I mean, imagine this. You're walking around with a four by four just sticking out of your eye, all right? Treated lumber, just bam, right there. And you see your friend, you know, and he's got like a little bit of dust or something. And he's like, you, you fool. Let me get that speck of dust out of here. And your two by four, four by four hits him. You know, it's like, that's the ridiculousness that Jesus is saying when you judge someone else without realizing that you're judging someone by a standard you don't even want to be held to. We focus more on gossiping, judging, and correcting other people's issues while simultaneously ignoring, justifying, or explaining away our own issues. Jesus had a word for that. It's called hypocrisy. So maybe we're more like the religious leaders than we want to admit. And so I want us to do something. I want us to commit together as a church to drop the stone and leave it alone. I have this uh, bag of stones here, right? These are my stones. These are the stones I like to throw, you know, my particular stones of judgment. And now, these stones, these are not like the stones that the Pharisees would have thrown. You know, these would hurt, but it'd take a lot of these. 
You know, the stones that the Pharisees would have thrown, they probably would have been 10 times this size. You know, not something that's going to kill on the first hit. You know, they wanted this to take a while. They wanted her to feel some pain for what she had caused. But nevertheless, we carry around stones, don't we? You know, you judge someone else's sexual sin, I want you to drop the stone and leave it alone. Because, you know, if we could look at our, if somebody could look at our phone's history or the inappropriate thoughts that we have about others. I mean, imagine if you had like a small screen on your head that displayed your thoughts all the time. That would be terrifying, right? You wouldn't leave the house. When you realize that, you don't have a stone to throw anymore. You know, you want to condemn someone for living a greedy lifestyle? Drop the stone and leave it alone. Because we're all guilty of not being generous enough, not spending money the way exactly the way God tells us to. None of us have a stone to throw. You know, you want to judge someone at work? Again, drop the stone and leave it alone. You know, because all of us gossip. All of us are lazy sometimes. You're telling me you never shopped or watched YouTube while you were at work? I mean, all of us have done things this year you wouldn't want your coworker or your boss to find out about. You know, maybe you like fall asleep at work, somebody walks in, you just act like you're praying. I don't know. But when you realize, like, you're judging other people by a standard you don't want to be held to, you, you don't have a stone to throw anymore. You know, if we took the time to worry more about this four-by-four four sticking out of our own eye, you'd drop all your stones and you'd leave them alone for good. Now, with that said, the riddle still hasn't been solved. Because let's not forget that the woman was caught in the act of adultery. So the question wasn't, was she wrong? I mean, this is obvious. What she did was sin. The question that remains is, how does Jesus uphold the law, which says there must be a penalty for sin, and, how, and then yet show compassion to the woman simultaneously? Well, this is how. Jesus stood up, and he said to the woman, hey, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? She says, no, Lord. He goes on. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus doesn't condemn her. Now, he calls what she did sin because he says, go and sin no more. Stop doing this. She was wrong. There has to be a punishment. There has to be a penalty for this. But he doesn't punish her. So is he ignoring the law and only showing grace? No. Because you see, the penalty for her sin was going to be paid for. But not by her, by Jesus. I think of Paul's words in Romans where he says he was handed over to die because of our sins. Our sins. That word our, guess who that includes? Of? Includes all of us. And he was raised to life to make us right with God. Romans 8.1, one of my favorite verses. So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was condemned on the cross. He took the stones so that the woman didn't have to. Jesus was condemned on the cross so that we wouldn't have to be condemned. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have given your life to him, you have placed faith in his offer of forgiveness, then you're not on trial anymore for your sins. You're not even in the courtroom at this point. Jesus upholds the law by taking the consequences of breaking that law on himself. 
And as a result, the woman doesn't have to live a life of, under guilt or condemnation. Instead, she's forgiven. And this, with this forgiveness also comes an invitation to leave her old life behind and walk with Jesus in newfound freedom. So in this, the riddle is officially solved. Immediately following this story, Jesus, John records this, Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he says this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is calling this woman to follow him out of a life of darkness. You know, I'll bet if the religious leaders traded in their stones for a chair and they took the time to listen to this woman's story, maybe they would have found out that she lived an immoral lifestyle because some stuff had happened. You know, maybe there was trauma when she was a kid. Maybe she was massively insecure. Or maybe she, she found worth in her body or her worth in acceptance by men. You know, I've met with this guy quite a few times, and, you know, he has some drinking issues or whatever. And I think, like, you know, for most of us, it's, it's just, like, real easy to cast judgment to be like, you know, you just, you got to stop. Like, this is crazy. Like, you can't keep living like this. And then I sit down, and I hear this guy's story and the horrible things that he's been through in his life. And I'm able to say, you know what, man, I get it. I get it. And, again, that doesn't make it right. I'm not condoning what he's doing, but I'm saying I understand. And it doesn't make what this woman, what she was doing was right. Again, she was wrong, but there's always something going on that causes us to live a certain way, right? I guarantee you this was not plan A for this woman. Something had happened. And I bet that she would have found out that she didn't really want to live this way, but settled for a life of darkness because that's all she ever knew and thought she was worth. The solution to someone else's sin always seems simple from a distance, right? But when you get close to someone and you're willing to try to understand them, there's always a lot of mess and there's always a lot of layers. But all we can see is what we can see, right? And it's so easy just to say, man, I see this behavior in you and you just, that's terrible. Again, and we do. Not condoning the sin. I just want to be clear. We're not, we, it's not that we don't call sin, sin. We do. But approaching it with empathy and grace and truth. You know, we have accountability, but that accountability comes within the context of relationships. You know, there's some people in my life, some men in my life, you know, my wife, where, you know, we have such, we have the relationship that allows for them to have not only the right, but the obligation that if they see me doing or saying or, you know, living in a way that is sinful, that is outside of how God has called us to live, you better believe they're going to come and say something. And I'm probably going to argue. I'm probably going to try to defend or justify. But they have that right because they know me, and I know that they care. Judgment is easy. Empathy is hard. Throwing stones is easy. Helping is hard. But I think if we're honest, we really love our stones, don't we? I mean, I really love these stones because they help me to feel better about myself, right? I see somebody that maybe looks a certain way or acts a certain way or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I can use these stones, and I can throw these stones of judgment. It makes me feel better than myself. Like, yeah, I'm on, I'm on the good side, right? 
the reality is, is that if I judge myself by those same standards, I wouldn't have any stones to throw. Here's the reality. You can throw a stone from a distance, but you have to get close to understand. You, have to, you can throw a stone from a distance, but you have to get close to show grace. You can throw a stone from a distance, but you have to get close to care. These men <clears throat> were ready to take this woman's life by throwing stones instead of seeing their own hypocrisy in this situation. But Jesus comes along and he makes a trade for us and for her. Put down your stones. <clears throat> Put down your stones. Walk away from your sins. He says, give me your past. Give me your pain. Give me your sin. Give me your darkness. Let me shine a light on it, which will forgive you and ultimately free you. Jesus said in John, he said, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, we don't know if the woman took Jesus up on her offer. But ultimately, it's not what, what she chooses that ultimately matters. It's what we choose. So my question to end this is, will you take Jesus up on this deal of a lifetime? He was condemned for you. He bore the darkness for you. He took your stones for you. He paid the cost of death for you. All so that you can have life, true life. We don't have to settle for anything less than true freedom. So the question is, what will you decide? And you might be here this morning, and you came, for, you've been coming to the chapel for a number of different reasons. You wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, right? You're not a follower of Jesus. You haven't taken that step. That is great. This is a place for you to come and ask questions and wrestle through your doubts and to learn about this Jesus. But maybe today you're listening and you hear, you, you know, this story sort of stirs something in you and I just want you to know that that's God's spirit. And maybe today is the day you're like, you know what, I am tired of this darkness. I'm tired of these stones. I'm tired of all of this. I'm ready to take that step. I just wanna give you the opportunity to do that. So in a second here, I'm gonna pray and there's gonna be a part in this prayer where if you wanna make that decision today, you can just pray the words that I pray. You don't have to pray them out loud. You can just pray them in your heart. And if you mean them, Jesus hears you. Let me pray. God, thank you that you didn't throw stones. Jesus, thank you that you didn't condemn us, but you were condemned for us. And God, you have forgiven us and you have called us to something greater. To walk away from the darkness and to follow you into the light. And God, if there's someone here or some folks here this morning that they would say that they've been living in that darkness and they don't feel free and they don't, they don't feel forgiven, they aren't forgiven, God, we just wanna offer that to them now. And so if you're here this morning and you're ready to make that decision, I just want you to pray these words in her. Just pray them in your heart. God, I am a sinner. I have done wrong. I have lived my life opposed to you. But God, I'm tired of the darkness. I'm tired of these stones. And I want to follow you. Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose to life to show that you have victory over death. I give my life to you. Will you come into my life? Will you come into my heart? Will you be the leader of my life? 
my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer this morning and, and you meant that in your heart, I just wanna be the first person to welcome you to the family of God. And I wanna celebrate that this morning by just standing together and singing this song as we close.